0: And welcome to the bi-weekly, triweekly, once a month industry 4.0 community podcast, sponsored by 4.0 solutions. I am your host with the most Walker D Reynolds. Today we have actually this is gonna be a really cool podcast. So this is gonna be a more of a techie, nerdy podcast. So if you're if you're uh if you wanna know how digital transformation actually happens and you know the process that organizations go through To make a decision on whether or not they're going to select unified namespaces, the foundational architecture for their digital infrastructure. This is the podcast for you. So today what we've got is we have Galleris Industrial Solutions, GIS, John McKeon, Pat McCarthy, uh, Grano Sullivan. You're with John, right? Yes. And we have um, from Stata, um, you may know them as Stata AG in life sciences in Europe. Uh, Igor, Thomasevich, and Andre Boyce. I'm going to have everybody introduce themselves. I'm going to kind of lay out what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk. In, we're going to go over three steps here. Number one, we're going to talk about Galleris, G I S, John McKeon, me. What's our relationship? You know, what is the relationship between 4.0 Solutions and Galleris, and how far do we go back? You guys hear me talk about McKeon all the time. Um, that'll be number. That's number one. Number two, we'll talk about Stata. So, over the last I don't know, I'm going to say three years, two and a half years. The journey for Stata desi- making a decision on their uh, digital infrastructure, either unified namespace or digital thread or uh, linear point-to-point, that was a multi-year journey um, that I did participate in on some some level. McKeon and his team at GIS and uh, DPS and Stata, they, they obviously took the lead there, but I was part of that journey and presented to Stata uh, maybe a year and a half ago, I think, at this point. Uh, Almost two years ago now. And then part three of the the story will be um, Stada presented at ISPE 2023 earlier this year. Big, big announcement where Stada basically Andre Boyce actually presented on um, unified namespace and why Stada made those decisions um, and and kind of where they're going going forward. The reason we're doing this podcast right now, it's kind of timely. If you look at the video we released a couple of days ago from operations calling, Tulip's operations calling, Yuring Renaud, who is uh, with Cartier uh, in Belgium. He is a French, um, former French soccer player actually, who now leads the digital transformation initiative for Cartier and has been for about a decade. He did the keynote address at operations calling and he explained their entire journey when, where they, when they ultimately settled on Unified Namespace. And they, he talked about it, I think, in four phases. If you haven't seen that video, I strongly encourage you to watch that video. It is literally, it is a very, very good story on what the journey is like. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about the only really the first two years of the journey. Because making the decision on digital infrastructure, starting with strategy, architecture, minimum technical requirements, it's the most important decision to make. So we're in Stata is just now at the end of that part of the journey, right? So we're going to, what we're going to do is we're going to have that conversation here. And so with that, uh, I'm going to go ahead and bring in uh, John McKeon from Gallerous. John, my man, how are you doing, brother?
1: Good, Walker. Good to talk to you again. And uh, thanks for bringing us on the podcast. I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be interesting. For the record of it, my name is John McKeon, founder and CEO of Gallerous. I'm here with uh, two members of my team, uh, two members from the SLT, along with Andre Boyce from DPS and Igor, which introduced themselves. Um, Quite quite an interesting story we have to tell. Uh, It's been a long journey, but I think it's important uh, uh, just for people to understand and the the journey that it takes to, once you get the decision process and going through that and then moving on from there uh, into successful deployment, and we've got a good story. So uh, I'll hand to Patrick then, is that okay?
2: yeah right. thanks john Go ahead, patrick mccarthy uh, chief operating officer with Gallerus. um at the time of the project itself um i was project manager and head of the pmo which uh Grania o'sullivan is part of so i'll pass over to Grania.
3: yeah hi guys thanks for having me today um i'm the head of project management in Gallerus, and look really with the Rapidly evolving nature of Industry 4.0, we need a project management methodology and framework to deliver kind of projects faster to market and keeping our projects customer centric as well. So, um, yeah, with Galler's three years and um delighted to be involved here today. All
0: right. Awesome. And then we'll bring in Igor and Andre in the second part of the, the podcast, which will be maybe 15 minutes from now. So uh, we'll have them introduce themselves at the very beginning. Um, well, John, let's let's start with you know why should anyone listen to you? So w- when I say hey, McKeon, you know McKeon has decades of experience in life sciences, primarily on the edge. Um, what I know McKeon as is, is in terms of his a his experience and his abilities in um, improving technological advancements for like printing um, and you know lot control on blister packs and stuff in life sciences. That's when people say, hey, where did McKeon cut his teeth? I'm like, oh, it's really in the, in the printing of lot control. That's kind of like where his, if you ask like, what, what do I know him for? I know him for that. I know that he has a a much broader experience, but John reaches out to me five years ago and he's like, hey, I've been following you. I'm getting ready to, I I have a startup, uh, Gallerous Industrial Solutions, and I have a whole team that I'm hiring. And what I need to know is I want to do what you guys are doing. I, 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 this all resonates. Like I, you and I believe in the exact same shit. How do I build my team? How do I go to market? And we just sort of like brainstormed. And I was like, and I was talking about how to construct the team and we had conversations on that. Right. That's where our conversation started. That's where our initial conversation started. And then John joined mastermind has been an active member in in the community. We're friends. He has my personal phone number. We text each other on WhatsApp and stuff. So, uh, and very few people have my personal number. So that's how close John and I are. So, um, and then over the last, the course of the last five years, we've formulated strategic partnerships, uh, any life sciences project that takes place in the European Union right now that originates with us. We refer GIS for it because they're the boots on the ground there. In fact, pretty much anything we're doing in the EU, John's the first guy we're calling. So we're doing a project in Slovenia, for example, and we call GIS and say, hey, if we need boots on the ground, are you, can you guys support from Ireland? It's, so that's the kind of relationship. McKeon is very active in Mastermind, our business development groups. They work together a lot and also with Skellig Automation's business development group. So we have a strategic, comprehensive partnership where we work together collaboratively so that our resources sort of mix together. Okay. Um, that's, that's the relationship here. All right. So John uh, on the, on the lot control, which is what you're known for like in, in technological tech technology advancement, what ha, give, can you give an example of some of the advancements that you are a part of in doing lock control and serialization in life sciences before you went into business for yourself,
1: okay. Traditionally, in life sciences, in in, in the packaging or finishing end, right? <laughs> and I'll oversimplify. Uh, a lot of the machines would consist of. Let's take a blister line for example. You have a blister machine, and it has all the elements of the elements the file the forming, the fill, the confirmation, and the camera systems within. The lot number and expiry, the lot number and expiry, would be put on the blister in 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 certain two dynamics, right? Two environments. One is pre-printed file and it's just, you have a window to put it on, lot number expiry. And then the others was, it was printed online. I was heavily involved in bringing digital printing to the to, the, to that section, per pocket, per blister, and even timestamp. I pushed the boundaries with, with German manufacturers. In this case, it was Ullman. I pushed clearly with Ullman and CSAT. They were the first to go and then um, happened Switzerland and so on. So, forth. so that was the key thing. But what was missing there when I entered into the life sciences, there was nothing Natively connecting all these systems together, so you had sequential processing steps, but they were not together connected digitally or in a form of control. So Supervisor control and data acquisition back in the early two thousand was the first we did in in life sciences. But then I pushed and pushed and pushed for the whole elements combined together. And then we were I was saying, right, why can't we go per pocket per blister? Yes, we did. Why can't we go a medication delivery for an individual or an, uh, that's out in the marketplace? And that's where the whole idea of serialization came along back in 2004, before it was even a requirement. So solving all those touch points and then taking, taking static and dynamic data, static batch data and dynamic batch data, which is serialization for individual pocket and in the parent-child relationship between the blister pocket profile to the pillow pack in this case, because it was a tropical blister, into the cartoner, the carton to the case, and the check in the labels and the anti counterfeit, uh, uh, the, the, the um, tamper evidence labeling that goes on. And, and that was all became a regulatory and eventually became into EUFMD directive and the Drug Safety so, and Security Act in the USA. So I was involved so, in all
0: of that. So, real quick, I want, so for the layperson out there, so those of you who don't work in life sciences, we're going to just kind of do a quick A quick uh, overview of life sciences. Life sciences is basically pharmaceuticals. Well, for the purpose of this conversation, life sciences is pharmaceuticals, making drugs. Life sciences covers a much larger, there's biomedical equipment, there's there's lots of stuff in life sciences. But for the purpose of this conversation, we're going to limit it to pharmaceuticals, the manufacturing of drugs. For those of you who don't work in life sciences, life sciences is unlike any other industry that you deal in, in manufacturing. Okay. It is a whole world unto itself. The center of the life sciences world is the, is the batch record. Okay. So the batch record is the, it is the, it is the, it is the system of record wherever that lives. That's the system of record. It is. The batch record is the complete genealogy from when you take a pill in your home all the way back to when the, where the origination of the, the manufacturing took place inside of um w- w- wherever the the manufacturing process started that is the the, the batch record digital transformation in life sciences was moving from like paper batch record to electronic batch record so the the batch record is the center of the universe and that batch record must be accurate there are lots of regulations surrounded about what's what needs to be in that back, batch record how accurate it is and how long you got to keep it well That's not easy. It's really fucking hard, actually. And it's a pain in the ass. And there are other regulations centered around when you are building in electronic batch record infrastructure. There we you'll hear this term called validation in life sciences all the time. And basically what that means is, is every time a data point goes from one place to another it must be validated. That is the data point. The connection itself has to be validated and documented in the life sciences. You spend 80% of your time doing validation and record keeping. So when you're doing engineering and, and technological advancement, this is why unified namespace is so important because one of the big advantages of a unified namespace in life sciences is two things. Number one, a batch record is many, many transactions and depending upon the orga- which organization you're looking at, a batch record could be thousands of transactions, literally thousand a thousand steps before the batch record is complete, or it could be 30. I mean, it could be it, it just depends on the process. So it, depending upon where a drug is in its manufacturing process, the batch record may be partially comp- or not even started, partially complete, mostly complete or completed. Okay. So uh, up until we went to electronic batch records. There was really no mechanism to look at a batch record until it was completed. There was no, there was no infrastructure to look at state of batch record. Okay. And, and UNS solves that problem. Number one, number two, it exposes the batch record to other consumers in the business. So not just, not just quality control, not just compliance and regulation, but all consumers who might need some of the data points that are in that batch record can now be exposed to other consumers. And number three and it is the validation. It's, it's two steps. Now it's from origination of data point to UNS, UNS to the consumer. You may have valid. I mean, I've worked in life sciences projects where literally there were 16 validation steps for one data point. So we were validating a We were doing data validation across 16 steps to get to the consumer. And that's really, really common. And this, and I shot a video on why engineers hate working in life sciences. Those are part of the reason. So UNS is obviously is a very valuable architecture for life sciences at face value. Anybody who knows life sciences and does any homework, they're all, they're going to come to the conclusion. Yeah, this makes a lot of sense for us. This is really gonna make our life easy, but Selling that, planning that, architecting that, and implementing that, that's not so easy. And that's part of what this story is supposed to be about today. So, McKeon, real quick, let's talk about the start of them. So, you got, you got Pat McCarthy here. You got yeah, – is it grain or grenay? It's grenay? Grania. Grania. All right. Irish names yeah. always kill me. They should Irish, not kill yeah, me.
3: that's it. <laughs> They're an I, education I, in themselves.
0: Yeah. So I, I have a, a side story. I have a friend who's a bodybuilder. Her name is Shirmone, S H I R M O N, and when she introduced herself to me, it took me like a month to get her name right. And I'll, and it's just Shirmone, but because it doesn't look like Shirmone when she writes it, and it's like oh god. Anyway, so let's talk about Stada. So let real quick, who is Stada? For those people, I know who Stada is, but for those who are listening who doesn't know who Stada is, say they're in the United States, for example. Who is Stada and what does Stada do? Uh Igor or Andre. And and also Igor want you Igor do and Andre want you guys go ahead and introduce yourself real quick and then and then answer that question.
4: Okay, thanks. Thanks Walker. I will introduce myself first. So, Igor Tomasovic, I'm Global Automation Leader in Stada Group. I'm mostly responsible for building and supporting global engineering capabilities to sites across the Stada network and uh, I'm responsible for leveraging innovative technologies to anticipate and prepare Stada for future automation opportunities in production. And uh, we are also building kind of a stronger network of automation engineers across Stada sites. So, yeah, pleasure to be with you today and uh, to have a very nice discussion about UNS and our uh, successful deployment of the UNS Stada is a pharmaceutical manufacturer, you know, and uh, one of the most uh, famous uh, manufacturers in Europe, uh, originally based in Germany, uh, with most of the sites in, uh, you know, Serbia and the Balkan region, then uh, also in England, there are a couple of production sites, and in Vietnam. So, uh, you know, this is kind of a a digitalization journey that uh, Stada uh as an innovative company wants to take and uh, as you said it is taking us quite a time to you know get there as we want to be there uh in the future so yeah really really uh interesting topic to discuss with you today
0: and uh, what i like igor igor is the digital product owner for stada that's for the layperson he's he's the person who owns the digital outcome that he's the product yeah. owner and then and andre you want to go ahead and introduce yourself yeah so, uh, i'm with a uh, arcadis
5: dps and um, I'm the automation manager here in uh, cork operations in ireland so my my life cycle has always been around uh, the pharmaceutical industry and chemical industry and um, this journey for us started way back in 2018 so it was a long time ago right but where where we come from is where i'm in, with an aec firm right so um but my background has always been as a system integrator on DCS, PLC, SCADA. And I was brought into the organization to give an automation background to any new construction and facilities that this company was developing and designing. Because that was always a gap in the market. And when you deal with A&E firms, they don't know anything about automation. They don't understand why you need to connect things. And then um, essentially, I'm in here then for, to, 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 to educate our guys on how to to make these things happen, how to get data flows between vendor package equipment, DCS, up into manufacturing operation systems, and uh, to do that in a, as, as a compliant way, as you were talking about validation a while ago, on quality, right? So um, to make sure that's done in a com- compliant manner, and uh, to assist uh, our our clients with problems and challenges that they have when they describe their requirements to us when they're when we're designing and building a facility. Um, we're often probably the first um, engineering firm they'll come to um, before it gets to a system integrator. So I'm often involved in writing the specifications for the systems that are actually going to be deployed into the um, client sites. So I write the specs and we'll send them out to system integrators like John's team and uh, they, they're then kind of in, engaged with us in, in coming up the, with the right solution to achieve that specification. So and that's where that's where we come into the um, equation, you know, so generally large projects will come through our to our offices all the way from uh, concept and feasibility up through to to commissioning qualification.
0: So real quick, let me ask this question. So I know when John was McKeon was introduced to unified namespace and then de facto how his team was introduced. But let's let's start with Igor. Actually, let's start with Andre Andre. When were you first? When were you first introduced to unified namespace yeah. as as a as an architecture?
5: This is a real interesting story, right? And um so you mentioned November twenty eighteen when you guys got together, right? So I actually started this engagement with Stada back in the summer of twenty eighteen. That's how long this goes back, right? Yep. Um Igor's Igor's um, colleague there um, in the executive leadership there in Stada contacted me saying, Look, we've a challenge and explained some of the challenges around what they had. And I said, right, I'll think about it and come back to it. Because I, I know we, it's just a, an industry contact. We know each other very well. And um, it went cold for a while because he had other objectives to get done in that period. But in the meantime, myself and John were always in contact, right, because we have a partnership in our businesses, right? And he was telling me about this unified namespace geek that was going on, right? So I said, look, have a look at some of the videos. And the very first video I saw Zach Put it up there recently on LinkedIn, saying, "What was your first standout moment?" Right, and it was that first that first video. I went, "Oh my God, I can see huge value in this. I just couldn't believe." I just said, "It's a no-brainer. This was huge. this is all about handling data. The problems we had are huge in the farm industry. The amount of connections, the amount of validation on every single step we do, and it was internally when I explained that, and in terms of effort to dollars on each of those steps it became right. just a no-brainer right scalability and yeah. um, consistency it was just it just jumped out at the pit from the page from the screen i should say on the very first video and i just went wow i showed it to my guys straight away inside here and uh, that worked with me and i said what do you think and they were kind of going no-brainer and um, so myself and john started bouncing this off each other then saying look how does it work in really started try to get into the weeds, right? Um and around the summer of twenty nineteen, um we started to engage Scott that again with, Wayne came back to me and said, look, what do you think? And I, I was trying to see the right solutions and technologies that were out there. And look, at the time there's a number of big players in the the historian side of things, the data analysis side of things in pharma that would not be reckon, that would not be in the UNS industry for space, right? And I was trying to figure out would this work for them? How scalable? Because he did say he wanted this done fast and get out throughout throughout his um, sites. So his team said, How scalable is this going to happen? How, how scalable is this going to be? Because I've been involved in this for twenty five years, right? I've seen how the efforts that large pharma companies go to and the money that they have spent and how slow it is, right? So. That's that that's kind of where I then uh, got back onto John. John's team started to build an architecture with us that would work. And we um uh we looked at doing a POC with with Igor. Igor was bought in into the, into the team at that stage and Igor was pushing this on from his side and so that was
0: So that was so Igor, when were you introduced to UNS? Yeah. So when was yeah. your first introduction to unified namespace?
4: Probably at the same time, you know. I was looking at videos, your videos on YouTube and uh, getting myself familiar with the concept and I was impressed as uh, Andre was as well. So, yeah, I learned a lot uh, from you guys and uh, still learning, you know, about the concept itself, how to implement all the things together. But uh, yeah, this kind of um, UNS uh, architecture is unique in the world and I think that uh, there is nothing else in the market that can replace it, you know? So that's the reason, one of the reasons why we're pushing, pushing this so hard, you know?
0: So So real quick, so you, you've heard that. So that means Igor was on board pretty quickly. He, he saw the value, yeah. Andre saw the value. And for those of you who are listening, this was a difficult journey for Stata. This wasn't easy. The, so the the decision, to go UNS was not an easy decision. There were a lot of meetings, a lot of discussions, a lot of time passed. So let's talk about that. So Igor, you're on. You're okay. the change agent internally, you're on board, Andre, you're on board, obviously McKeon's on board. Igor, talk a little yeah. bit about the journey. So as far sure. in my head, the way I remember it is, basically 2020 through 2022 was kind of the, the journey making the decision, right? Can you, yeah, li- right. can you talk a little? You talk a little bit about that process for you guys. Yeah, I'll
4: talk about it in detail if, if I need to. So uh, yeah. one of the main reasons, you know, you know, farm industry, as you mentioned, is it's all about uh, you know uh, validation and all about regulatory uh, requirements. And uh, one of the main reasons for implementing. First of all, our PISDH system—we uh, we like to call it Plant Information System Data Historian. So we started uh, from that uh, data historian values. You know, was to meet regulatory compliance. So FDA process validation guidance, you know, Annex 15 EU GMP guide. So they all require manufacturers to monitor product quality. You know, to ensure that uh, a state of control is always maintained throughout. You know, validation life cycle. Uh, We call it uh, uh, ongoing process verification in Europe, in U.S. it's called uh, continuous process verification. So that's kind of comply with regulatory and uh, another regulatory requirement recently published uh, was uh, in GMP Annex 1, uh, which uh, applies to sterile production, you know, where all alarm messages coming out of equipment must be stored and analyzed. So uh, it is now considered as batch release parameters. You know, so that's really huge now in respect to the UNS. So all pharmaceutical companies will uh, eventually, you know, implement this kind of uh, system. And uh, apart from those regulatory
0: requirements. We lost, we, lose? we lost Igor. Well, while Igor is coming back, all right, while he's coming back, let's switch it over to Andre real quick. So yeah because this was tough i mean that's all right he's coming in right now let's pause yeah right.
4: okay right.
0: so you uh you were talking about um the yeah, yeah. Alarm, the requirements for alarms
4: sure no problem i can continue yep okay so apart from regulatory requirements so the purpose of that uh, system BISH system data historian system was more than just collecting and logging the data you know so it was uh, making sense of the data and passing it to the other systems like, you know, MS, MES or ERP, because, yeah. you know, raw data can be yeah. usually useless, you know, and then yeah. summarizing some kind of combining with other data before it can, you know, become information that can be consumed, right? right. So that's when we got into discussion with John and, you know, Galaris DPS that uh, successfully completed our first installation of the PASDH. They, they they they're using they were using Ignition and you know Canary Historian and uh, EMQX as a broker, so we learned that uh, EMQX uh, MQTT broker can be used as an UNS uh, core part, right? Mm, so therefore yep. we started with that kind of integration of other systems like SAP or MES LIMS and so on. So. Uh, our goal is like with uh, most manufacturers is to have our uh, digital strategy data driven right so so we want to be data driven organization we want to you know uh, allow uh, to to be allowed to improve equipment productivity you know while we want to also provide foundation for a kind of a fully connected enterprise you know so uh, eventually we realized that the success of the digital transformation strategy lies uh, on how well integrated our organizational data is across our technical sites, you know, our technical units. So uh, we mostly learned that uh, UNS can connect uh, many different technologies, right? And uh, data sources that uh, can give us a complete, uh, you know, picture of production operations in, in real time. In real time, I, I need to emphasize that. And so that this is really crucial to have that kind of information in real time. So. Our UNS is uh, acting as a single source of truth, and uh, uh, this is kind of a state of entire production, you know, at any given point in time. So, so,
0: so when look I at when the you, UNS, yeah. Uh, excuse me. So when you when when John brought me in, so I, I would say the the original conversation was he, John and I. We have a meeting yeah. every month. So McKean and I meet every month, and it's like just a catch up. It's a quick fifteen minute. And, and basically in that call, we, we would talk about Stata. you know, for yeah. I mean, probably six months in a row, we talked about Stata, and it was, Hey, I, you know, I think we're going to get there. UNS is going to get adopted, but we've, we still have to explain why digital, why not digital thread and why we must go UNS. And that's why where I got pulled in and did the digital thread versus UNS presentation. Yeah. So Andre, let me ask you this from your yeah. perspective, what was, what was the, what were the hurdles? What was the journey like? Yeah. Cause this is the question most people are going to have, which is, okay. I know the value of UNS, like Igor yeah. sees it, Andre sees it, but you know, obviously there is a process of getting your team on board with an architecture that may not be, you know, it's not being sold by, you know, say Rockwell automation, for example, Rockwell doesn't sell a unified namespace because they sell a, they celebrate or they sell monolith, you know, integrated architecture. What were the challenges like? So yeah. for you, during the, the telling the story of UNS, before Stata said, yes, we're going to do this, what were the challenges that you had to overcome, you and Igor and John working together from your perspective?
5: So I think the, some of the biggest challenges were not changing a validated state of an asset, right? So we, like Igor's, Igor's um, sites, a lot, a lot of these are legacy legacy sites, right? So the equipment is old, right? And it's validated. You do not want to be touching that. It just brings cost into the project execution. So we're trying to figure out like how can we utilise what we have, minimise change, put in an edge device, and get that data flowing. That was probably initially the biggest challenge that was there. Also. Um, the Stada is Stada Corporation is going going through a, a big modernization effort, right? So we we had those, you know, like when you when you go on go to connect, collect, store, we had to start at the very start for some things, right. and we had to right. like the, some of the selling wasn't actually difficult in terms of bringing um, compliance and quality into and data integration into the whole picture because we could then really give a robust solution. Um, to um, the Stada and uh, clients. And they were able to tell their own clients that story as well, to say, like, we now have controls in place in terms of how we move our data around. We know exactly how it gets from A to B in a controlled state. And uh, once we got over those hurdles of that technology, those technology challenges, um, which was a lot of, you know, profibus and serial buses, etc., and getting over that. And to be fair, John's team there with Sean Ogg, et cetera, they sorted those out, right? And uh, we got the networks up and running, and got that data flowing. It just was, it just went really sweet and really quick. Um, yep. And a- after that POC was done, I think it, that that really cleared the way for Igor's uh, challenges within his own organization, which will always happen. I've been able to tell that story, you know.
0: Real, yeah. real quick, um, uh, um, yeah. Uh, what what are the what are the total number of sites? Total number of assets, total number of data points that we're talking about um, in its entirety.
1: It's uh, the original site. I think it started with 12 assets, but it scaled from there. And each of those, hold on, before I say that, this, this fits in perfectly. Following the steps that you know you teach in Mastermind, right? The seven steps of onboarding, right? What is critical for anyone, and we all need to underline this, is the ability to profile the asset layer, right? Yes. And have have and profile the business. You must, you must, you must get that right, okay? And and back to our discussion two thousand eighteen, you said to me, get two automation engineers and start from there, right? Yes. Well, I got Sean O'Gwaltz join me back then, him and a, and a, a, a Clifford originally. After that, but those two guys were key. And Sean Ogg is now the lead here for technology and engineering. He was critical in, in the audit of the facility, which standing with Igor, him and Kevin Nocton, who's on the electrical. The boys went through all those assets, identified the variables. Like some of these assets didn't even have network capabilities, right? Right. But that was critical. So those assets being profiled then then working with Igor on the people on site and building up those, the elements of the architecture, along with uh, uh, Roy Donovan from DPS. You know, all, all, I'm, I'm working with, with Andre and the crew with these, with the project management on their side and the commercial element and, and Grania and her team and Patrick and others, like, holding so, it all together. Just so it, it's back to that but thing.
0: But, John, yeah. just, just, just so I'm clear, was the proof of concept 12 assets or was it one? 12. 12. It was 12, okay, 12, assets, 12 assets in the POC. And then you scaled up once you did proof of value, right? How After long did that, it take yeah. you guys yeah, how long did it take to do the POC?
1: Uh, okay, if I may, if I may, right? So the overall from the from the go button right to yep. completion of validation, we were we 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 had a very tight window, and a lot of eyes were on this, and we united as a collective team. So, if I recall, in total, including validation, was seventeen weeks, but we had some delays, and we collectively mm-hmm. agreed because we did it in actually in a count clock of about 11 weeks, but but we got better after that. So we hit the window, but
0: as a team, Good we number. all
1: rode. And I mean a team as in three parties here. We all rode together on this. We united on it. I, I gotta, got I gotta be honest with you.
0: That's, that's impressive in life sciences. The goal is your proof of value should be 12 to 16 weeks, not longer than 16 weeks. That we, this is what we teach. Like if you want to prove value, you need to do it in 12 to 16 weeks with as little investment by the client as humanly possible. Right. Um, but I, I can tell you this, that is a challenge to do in life sciences. I, I mean, in in that is really, really hard. I mean, we just finished a proof of concept with a another large life sciences company that's got a big presence in Ireland. And we do this all the time. And it took five months. So it took 20 weeks. And 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 the reason why was because it's just really, really hard to hit that number in life sciences, because. Things move so slowly. I wanna, and I want to follow back up to what Andre said about not, not, not affecting the validated state of an asset. So for those of you that don't know about life sciences, once an asset or a process is validated, if you make any changes to it, fundamental changes to what has been validated, it must be revalidated. So one of the challenges in life sciences is, is how do we integrate validated assets without unvalidating them? Which, were, which would require that we revalidate the underlying process that may have been validated 15 years ago. And the answer is you have to bolt on and consume without making any changes. So, and that, that's a unique challenge in life science. I, I want to talk to, is it Granya? I want to, on the, on the project management side. Okay. So, cause I get, we get tons and tons of questions on the project management side. So two, two questions for Granya. So number one, What was what were the primary challenges in just managing hitting the delivery in a in a four month window, in a in a three to four month window for the proof of value? And then how did it change when you went to when you started to scale, when you decided that it was time to start scaling? Grania?
3: So I suppose key challenges are kind of rapid adaption. So to know that we're able to respond quickly to changes in in this case in status customer environment that the guys are on the ground boots on the ground were able to de- detect um changes in requirements across kind of machinery that we were onboarding into the historian um and it's really that ability um between the key stakeholders and the team to be able to rapidly adapt to these requirements so that they're okay a change come in, comes in there's a quick um response that we're addressing um i suppose and we're again just rapidly um driving on um from a delivery perspective like we go with an agile project delivery um approach where it's very much iterative um it's time boxed sprints of work Um, So it allows for changes in the customer requirements on the ground, like if the product, the digital product owners value, say, for example, on Igor's side, if his core value or core priorities change that, we've the ability to adapt to that as well in terms of the project delivery. So I suppose really... They're the challenge that we continuously experience, particularly in the pharma and life science industry. And that's why the agile approach really supports with kind of that faster time to market, rapid adaption. It's customer centric for for project delivery. And really, we're working with DPS on an improved risk management approach as part of that project delivery as well. And that we're identifying and mitigating risks from very early on in the project. Um, so it became quite seamless and supportive in delivering against a 12-week window then. To,
0: two things real quick. Uh, number one, um, what what was the, well, I wanna say one thing. I, I spoke last week in Denver. I wanna talk about this iterative, a, a agile approach. It's It's one of the core tenets of digital transformation. When we teach, we say, there's no way, there's no way for you to do digital transformation using a waterfall approach to your implementation, it's not possible. First off, you don't know what the milestones are. I mean, digital transformation, you talk about this, you, you know what the first milestone is at the proof of value. But even, even you cannot even see past proof of value. You, you have more of a, like a concept a year from now. You don't have, you don't know exactly where you're gonna be in a year. And the reason why is because what we want is a function of what we know, and what we know, and in, in, as what we know increases, what we want changes. And digital transformation is about increasing that collective knowledge. I was speaking in Denver last week, and there was a lawyer who spoke before us talking about software contracts. And someone asked the question, um, how far out should we be signing or capitalizing projects for digital, talking about digital transformation? And they asked me to respond after the lawyer So I think it was me and then Eric Kimberling. And then I think I spoke or I, I responded. I said, listen, If you are committing capital outside of 12 months, further out than 12 months, you are, you're a fool. There is no, you have no idea what you're going to do in month 13. You have a concept, but you have no idea. So therefore you can't commit the money to it. Like you, the iterative, the iterative approach to digital transformation is so unbelievably important. And I know that no one here is going to disagree with me on that point. you, You know, being agile, adapting to changes, adapting to what you learn is a foundation of digital transformation. And it is fundamentally a shift in systems integration. Like 10 years ago, there were no project managers in digital transformation talking the way Grainne just talked or in in systems integration. There were no, you couldn't find a, a project manager or a PMO or a PMP who was talking the way she just spoke. And that was foundation. That was fundamental in, in success here. Right. Mm -hmm. But I come back to Grania in a second on project management, but I want to ask Patrick a question. So Pat, you did the account management here.
2: Yeah. Martial responsibility and, and head of PMO at the time.
0: Yeah. All right. So I, I have two questions for you here. So number one, what was the ratio of, you know, what, what percentage of the, proof of value. Let's do the proof of value. And then what percentage was DPS? What percentage was GIS? What percentage was Stata? Like, how was it broken up in terms of, uh, responsibility and delivery? How much of it was GIS doing is, I guess is what I'm asking.
2: Yeah, I think, um, it was three quarters, GIS, probably a quarter, um, DPS. And obviously look, Igor was key on the status side, The availability, um, like Grain, you talked about the fast responses, the agile way to be able to execute on issues that we had and that were brought up and that were resolved, uh, eager spearheading kind of the the IT perspective, but the OT perspective as well, uh, was key to be able to execute efficiently and and meet that
0: 11-week milestone. And then follow-up question. This is the obvious one. Patrick's job at GIS is to make sure GIS doesn't go out of money, run out of money. His job is to forecast sales and make sure that they have enough revenue coming in so they can pay payroll. And I mean, that's ultimately that's what Pat is responsible for. Like he, so, and and he answers to John in in that capacity, right? So based on what I just said, which is we're, we're not going to ask customers to commit capital beyond 12 months. Patrick, how has your approach to forecasting, changed when you are approaching solutions this way, iteratively, where you don't know what your level of effort is going to be, say, six months from now or nine months from now. Okay, can you talk a little bit about if I'm the person who is, is I'm, I'm forecasting engineering re, uh, resources, I'm forecasting uh, inflow and outflow of cash. How has that changed if what we're doing is not going to customers and asking them to commit to eight million dollars over the next two years worth of work, not knowing what they're gonna get. Because that is fundamentally how our business has changed. Can you talk a little bit about how is it changed and maybe McKeon can chime in on that as well because you both have experience in the old way of doing things.
2: <laughs> yeah, I suppose <clears throat> previously you would have had that repeatable income. You knew those large programs of work were coming in Walker. And and that's that's brilliant. But in digital transformation uh, one of the key themes is the people, the processes, and the agile way of executing and agile way of forecasting as well. So being able to do that um, with our financial department here um, is is key, um, and obviously a great partnership and relationship with the customer itself. Right. So communication. When, once you have, yeah, communication is key, and the people in digital transformation are key. So um, myself and Igor um, and Andre, we talk regularly on the bodies of work um, that come in. And obviously, um, in digital transformation itself, we know there's a number of assets, there's a number of systems that need to be connected. Right now, we're becoming more standardized in the way that we execute together, and we can forecast further and further out. But we're also ready for the unknown. So I think it's, it's, it's a, a great learning to be adaptable. Um,
1: I'll just John. yeah I'll just jump in on that right. So look, over the last five years we've all been on a journey, and when we started out, yeah, you know, we didn't have the, the the rule book or the playbook wasn't nailed down. We were coming from an industry 3.0 mindset, and we were changing and adapting. And what Pat, what Patrick has summarised there right now is matured situation, okay. But it's been a long journey, and every engagement you pick up something new. And if, if I summarise, what are critical? What's critical is you have the right partnership, right? The right technology, right? And the the right relationship within the groups of people. Okay. Yes. So here we have here we've we've three different companies. But each one of these guys we all know and work with each other, and we all have a responsibility mm-hmm. to our own companies, but we will all support each other in our own roles and in delivering the end goal. So it's a symbiotic relationship as of sort of an executable of a capex. Now I, I won't spend too long, but just to point Criti- crit- criticality to success, profiling of the asset layer and its profile is critical. Profiling of the asset layer and the skill sets that are ability to profile, which is t- I call taming the digital jungle is absolutely critical, yes. right? Building, 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 building is an executable structured and ordered in an agile approach as, as deemed here is critical. And you see the systems that are here with Grania and Andre and the cross-correlation and the, cosmetic, the commercial side of it. And also a good validation documentation department, right? Laura in here on our side is also engineer. She's built that. So we've all the key elements, and that took a period of time to get to where we are, a level of maturity as we are right now. So to, to close and circle back around on Patrick's point, we now can forecast better what's going forward. We now have a reference of what we've lived, the good, the bad, the ugly, all been successful. Right, because we got better and better. We did not, we did not leave anyone behind, or damage a client, or have a problem with a client. But we've been right. successful. So now we collectively streamline. So we're we're quite matured now, business methodology. Just one, thing I, on, that, John, just one thing on that,
5: John. I think we're missing uh, someone, a, a critical component here, right, and all of that, and that is the vendor package people, right? Because that, to be fair, has been a significant challenge for us, right? In a very first deployment, right? They like. I, I, we'll talk about it in a minute their walk, but with ISP team, but, but um, that they are critical to this, right? And they need to understand. We need to be telling them the message when we engage on projects why we're using the UNS. Right. And once they know, once they know where you're coming from, they will buy in, right? And they'll give you edge devices that will allow that connectivity. But um, there, it is, it has been fraught up to now, to be honest. I, I think it has been a challenging environment to get those vendors on board into the farm space, because at the end of the day, they want to take a product off their shelf and sell it sell to it because there's zero customization for, for them
0: and it reduces risk for the client, you know? Well, one of, one of the, I to, on the communication side uh, about how we experience it in terms of fundamentally how integration has changed for us, that is the the approach to solving <laughs> problems is, you know, you are, you have a, uh, an active working relationship with your clients. Like what and when I say that, I mean the boot, you know, the grenades and the and the and the architects, the engineers with the boots on the ground, they are having daily or bi-weekly meetings with the client talking about what we've done so far in the last couple of days, what we're going to do over the next couple of days, and any problems we're having. That's that's a foundational principle of Agile, right? We call those the stand-up meetings. You should have them every day, but not everyone has them every day. Sometimes you have them every other day. And then if you're doing two-week sprints, you are literally presenting a result to the product owner every two weeks, and they are giving you a thumbs up or a thumbs down. You are getting continuous feedback, continuous conversations about the process, as opposed to the milestone approach, which is you take a, a list of requirements, you throw up over a fence, it falls on the other side, and you don't come back until they throw a finished product back over to you. Right. And it's there's no there's no conversation. There's no collaboration that 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 is a very, very important part of this process, because you are able to predict where the client is likely going to go. And that's how you forecast that they, they start talking to you about all the other problems they want to solve. And so you, you realize, OK, yes, this is something that's going to scale up and I need to pre- prepare for it. I need to add resources, et cetera, et cetera. Or this is, they're going to be ready to take over on their own and they're not going to need us, say, six months from now, right? And you're able to do those types of forecasting through a working collaborative relationship with the client that is based on common values and communication. All right, I want to pivot. Well, yeah, go ahead, John. Well, yeah. Just
1: that just very important to come out of this from the early days. And I thank, I thank Igor and Andre on this. So when we engage with the OEMs, as Andre brought the OEMs, we now see over the last five years, OEMs are now more open to, finally more open to engaging with minimum technical requirements, right? right. Even to the point of contextualizing and normalizing the data before the machine even lives. Like even recently on a project we did for an American connection uh, of a German supplied machine, the the, the thought process have changed, but that wasn't there in the early days. And gentlemen like Igor and Andre working with us to change that narrative. And then we were able to point to this net positive result, right? That's made changes, but it's very important to note that. Okay.
0: And, and for those of you that don't know, the, the, the OEMs are the people who build the assets. So what minimum technical requirements are, let's say, you know, bioreactors are a very common asset in life sciences. They're the thing where the drug gets mixed before it goes into packaging. They create the drug there and then it goes out. Bioreactor is built by OEMs. So, in in the ultimate goal in a digitally mature life sciences organization not just a bioreactor but any asset is you are going to the oem is going to ship you ship you a new bioreactor because you're scaling your business up they're going to bolt it into the floor they're going to connect it to the electrical they're going to connect it to the internet to, to the network they're going to do all their validation checks they're going to run it in they're going to they're going to certify it and then they're going to validate it and then They're going to plug it to infrastructure. And in order for them to be able to plug it into the infrastructure, into the unified namespace, they have to build they have to build a topical namespace on that asset. How do you convince the OEM to do that? Right. I mean, they'll say, well, what's in it for us? Well, long term, what's in it for us, for them, is a common infrastructure upon which they can collect data from their own assets so that they can build better bioreactors. Right. That long term, that's their what the OEM gets out of it. But when John's talking about the OEM, we're talking about the people who build the assets themselves, right? Because we're writing minimum technical requirements saying, when you ship us a new asset, it needs to meet these minimum technical requirements, including it has to plug into our infrastructure. All right, let's pivot to ISPE. So this is kind of where this all stands is, you know, STADA was the first life sciences organization to publicly come out. And there are many life sciences organizations who use Unified Namespace, and they are all names that you know. Okay, but none of them have publicly come out and present. Okay, Stata is the first one in the EU that I know of that's done it. So Stata goes to ISPE 2023, which is a big conference earlier this year, and they present on Unified Namespace, making the case for here's what we should be doing in the industry. And here's what we did. Here's the value of it. And here's why everyone else should be doing it, too. And I don't know which one of you wants to tell that story, but I, what I'd like is either Andre or Igor to, to talk about, A, why, why go to ISPE and present, okay, number one. And number two, what was your story? What was the goal when you went up there to present? What story did you want to tell? And how was it received? Let's, let's do how was it received at the end
5: yeah so i I'll give a backstory on why 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 we were invited so um within our organization we're members of the i s p right we're highly engaged mm-hmm. with them in terms of technology process technologies mechanical technologies that in the farm industry right so um when the opportunity came to me, I was asked would I present something i i looked and said the, like the u n s is the one that we need the message we need to be getting out to end users in terms of um uh, the data integrity aspect and that's what that's what that was the hook i had in there because you had um the regulatory bodies were going to be present right from both the uk and the us right so the fda people were there mhra were there irish um, regulatory people were there so um by by us telling the story about uh a rapid way of deployment and um, we, we we've seen the the thing we've seen that we need to get this data flowing quickly we need to get map Products manufactured quickly. This is a method for rapid deployment and scalability in a validated, um, in a validated state, in a validated systems. And that was the story I was trying to tell. Saying, look, there's other alternative models than the reference model of the of Purdue, right? Which right. everyone knows. Which and look, we talk level zero, level one, level two, level three. That's our natural language in the automation space. And right. that's what people talk, but when we talk, when I talk about it now, in terms with other colleagues in other companies who want to take that step, who don't have the support in their organizations to do it because the wrong people are making decisions for them, right? And we're still talking about language, but we're more talking about the, the kit or the the, the system in uh, just as a way of communicating. It's nearly like, look, it's uh, just a, a language that we use. But... The, the the whole intent was showing that there is an alternative to the Purdue model that's more cost effective, that's speed to market, that's validated, um, that's uh, consistent, and that you have all your quality attributes associated. And,
0: and real quick, uh, so for those of you who don't know, the ISPE, I'm sorry, I used the abbreviation. It is the International Society for Pharmaceutical Engineering. Okay, yeah. so that that's what the ISPE is. They do an annual conference every year. You guys presented mm-hmm. April, May, right? Was it? That was every- in May, May this year. Yeah, hey. it's the, right. in the at the European Convention. So it's
5: the biggest European ISB um, uh, or, um, organized event of the year, and um, all all the big farmers were there, um, and all the suppliers. And that's after you were talking, I come back on that because I was I was approached by a lot of suppliers in terms of vendor package people, instrumentation providers, saying what do we need to do. To ensure that our systems can get onto UNS, and, and really, they, really, I, I thought that was really interesting that they they they're very open to this and they want to get there.
0: Let me ask you this: so that in May you presented, okay, yeah. and, and Gartner comes out at the end of July with their document, basically saying Purdue is deprecated. Yeah, you know, that they, they come out with a document with a reference architecture that is is for UNS. They come out with a UNS reference architecture document. We've talked about this in previous podcasts. Andre, you posted on your LinkedIn. You you posted a reference to the document. What? How did you feel when you saw that Gartner came out with that document two months after you presented at ISPE? That, that was
5: interesting, right? Because um, I'm dealing with another client at the moment, right? And he is Terence Hero. And I I I, I when, once I heard about it, I said, "John, need to get this somewhere because it really helps him in his discussion with his management and as executives, right? To say why we need to do things." But just, it is not the guys in the shop floor that are the problem. Are the OT guys? We can all see the value in this. Yes, there are a lot of infosec people that are blocking this, right? Yes, and they're not coming from the OT space. They have been IT guys, and that is where the challenge is so, on all of this. That that's from my, that's from what I'm seeing. in It you know.
0: So I want I want to take it home with three three more questions. So we're gonna to pivot to Igor here real okay. quick. So and then I'm gonna come back to you on. What was the reaction? Like, what were the conversations you had after? But Igor, I, I want to ask yeah. you that question first. So at the presentation happens at ICE. I mean, obviously, for those of you that don't work in life sciences, this is a big fucking deal that this presentation takes place at ISPE. This kind of presentation doesn't happen. OK, it's not that there. that's literally a room full of people looking at something that is completely anathema to what they're used to like that it's a totally different mind it's a mind shift completely so there's no doubt that there's buzz after this presentation there's no question there's buzz Even more how do you think that presentation was received and 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 what were the conversations you had following the presentation once once on cuz andre you're the one who presented right That's yeah andre cool. was
4: there i wasn't there you know i was uh, recording video and andre presented but uh the presentation went really good uh, I mean uh I was approached by some companies afterwards you know uh they were interested to learn more about what we did and what are we up to you know so uh in our management there there is also kind of a agreement or alignment that we continue in this direction to you know make things work and uh you know to to, to continue in this direction so what we learned uh, is that uh IT uh, has finally, you know, agreed to step in, in into the same uh, uh, kind of a roadmap that we had. So they uh, aligned with us, with our, with our strategy, and uh, now it's much easier. But uh, Andre mentioned the, the biggest uh, resistance was coming uh, uh, at the beginning from the IT side, you know, because uh, they didn't understand the concept, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. afterwards... Uh, when we get uh, we we, we got their support now it's uh, really uh, things are running smoothly you know so now we don't have any issues with uh, any any connectivities or any systems that we want to put in UNS so the but in in nutshell the 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 uh, reaction was really excellent I mean great reaction
0: and but, in your oh what does the next 18 months look like you guys are obviously scaling at this point yeah and you're iterating. Next.
4: Yeah, good question. So the next uh, 18 or 12 months, we we plan to uh, uh, install cloud-based, you know, UNS uh, solutions. So uh, this is going to consume all relevant on-prem data coming from, you know, each site. And uh, there we will connect to, uh, eventually connect to S4 HANA installation, which is already a project in progress. Uh, Some MES uh, installations and LIMS uh, installations. We are heading towards uh, kind of a paramount, uh, you know, uh, cloud-based UNS. So this is what we are going to talk about in the next 12 months from now.
0: And and, um, real quick, uh, McKeon, how how have things changed for you guys since ISPE? I I know me, I I mean, nobody even knew I, I met with Stata at all. I didn't talk about it. You know, I was only in part of, I think, one or maybe two meetings, and I was just like a support person. I, I, I have never even looked at the architecture. I don't even know. I was going to ask McKeon. We talked about the architecture offline. Is it okay if we, do you want to, Igor, do you want to talk about like how, What is the architecture, what does the infrastructure look like at this point? What tools are you using? Um, is that yeah, okay? Okay. Yeah, we can mention. Yeah, no problem with it. Yeah. Do you want to go ahead or do you want, John, do you want to explain what the infrastructure is or do you want Igor to do that? Well, uh, let Igor do it because it's, it's his yeah, now. It's his baby
4: now. (laughs) No problem. So we are using Ignition, right? So Ignition 8.1 and uh, for uh, historian Canary, Canary historian, EMQX broker. uh, That's pretty much it. You know, we will uh, probably look in the future what uh, different tools we are going to use uh, in order to, you know, gather the data coming out from different systems. But, uh, uh, you know, as in all, big companies, uh, we have to uh, uh, obey or, or to, to, you know, uh, satisfy standards coming from data, IT data infrastructure. So we need to uh, adopt sometimes those interfaces, you know, they, they say that some interfaces are not so updated or, you know, so we have to create our own web REST API interfaces in order to connect to some systems so there will be some kind of uh, you know alignment and some more work to do but uh, uh, the basic is that we are using a EM- emqx broker and uh, we'll
0: continue in that way
4: and uh, are, yeah, are you are you looking
0: at HiByte for data ops or are you going are you going to keep the data ops inside of ignition
4: yeah, we are thinking about it yeah we haven't made a decision yet but okay. uh, yeah go Let's ahead Go ahead, John.
1: Yeah, Walker. Just it's important to note for, for the, the, the audience as well that we, as part of this project, we took into account uh, OT cybersecurity. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with, with the people that we have here, we, we're quite fortunate. Uh, Fagrin McGovern, as part of setting up uh, the architecture, taking in the elements of the, the cybersecurity element from the OT and feeding that into the project and all the projects going forward. And then that was all as part of all that and the harvesting of the data and building up the UNS, the likes of um, um, uh, Oscar uh, and the visualization element all these come in part of the pieces to make it happen right. now and last thing is Igor is an amazing uh, customer and client of ours the relationship is amazing Okay, so I have to give him hats off we've, we've done other things that we haven't mentioned here on this mm. call where we are touching touch points and interfaces with other applications and that That exploratory point of 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 safe touch points in the UNS and pushing the boundaries is really positive for us and us as a community as a whole. So it is positive.
0: And and what we like to call Igor is Igor is the true believer, the change agent. He's the champion, right? It's by the way, I cannot stress enough how you. It is not possible to do this without an Igor or equivalent. You must have. You must have someone internally, who is who is your metaphorical Igor. And, and by the way, yeah. when we're doing a digital transformation maturity assessment, and we're meeting with all these cross functional groups, we're looking for the Igor, we're looking for that person. Oftentimes, that's an engineer, it, it, yeah. it's, it's a frontline engineer. And then we're going to the senior leadership and saying, you need to promote that person into your director of digital role. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you, we're literally trying to identify that person, and sometimes that person is, oftentimes that person is on the edge, oftentimes, because yep. they, the OT people understand the problems and how to, how to solve them. Um, i think Walker, the,
5: I'm, I'm not Walker, right, in terms of ego, right, I think his, his um, executive, right, um, was a significant champion as well in enabling this to go ahead, right? And by having bringing Igor into into the into the fold there, right? And I think that really did help because Igor can talk the IT language and the OT language, and having that being being fluent in both is 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 a very important uh, It's
0: critical. You said the critical thing: the the champion needs to be fluent in IT and OT, needs to bridge the gap between the two, and we and we call that the digital fluency. Andre, I want to close. I want to close with this. I want to come back to you with this question. So you presented ISPE, okay? And obviously, lots of people want to talk to you afterwards. I mean, I get I get it all the time. So I'm sure you're standing there talking to a long line of people, and then everyone you see afterwards is wanting to talk to you about your presentation. Walk me through what those conversations were and what your primary takeaway was. What you think the primary takeaway from the audience was?
5: Yeah, and there was a few. Um, at these things, a lot of times their eyes would glaze over because they're not techies, right? They're not they're, they're they're regulators. They're they're trying to figure out how does this affect me, right? and um, the discussions were really around um, how do, how does the scale how do we change our monolithic organization to something like this and that's their challenge that is in the blue chips right in the top tiers that is they they spent 30 years in, installing what they have and there's a lot of spent cash there to 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 turn around and a lot of reputations to that may be solid right so they're all trying to pivot and what, acts, what has actually happened, I'd say, since that, that presentation is that in this area alone, right, and John John, I spoke to John about this, right, I've had another four or five integrators approach me saying, would you have a look at what we do? Because th- we think this is our interpretation of it. And I kind of say, no, go ahead. It's not, it's not there yet, you know, but there are a lot of people trying to get into it. And the only reason they're, getting, they're trying to get into it is because their end users and clients are asking for it. Right. So it has really kicked off in, I would say, in the, since, I would say, in the last four or four five months here, I, I would say in this space, right? I know you've been looking at it with other clients, right? But yeah. this has given a bit of impetus to it and saying, look, there's actually people talking about it. So why can't we and why can't we start in, investigating it a bit more? And But again, it's the monolithic organizations that are, are challenged. The, 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 the less um, mature organizations are in a fantastic space to deploy this. And I think the likes of um, a lot of the CDMOs, a lot of the contract manufacturing organizations are in an excellent position to start yeah. deploying it because they're still trying to get off paper. And if they're trying to get off paper, there's an opportunity for them. And they realize it themselves, but they're looking for people like ourselves to educate um, the the industry, right? And I have gray hair, right? I wish I hadn't, right? But um, there's, uh, we're, we've been around a while Um, and we've seen the pitfalls in the isa 95 models and purdue etc right and we can educate those guys and and hopefully that's where they come to the likes of ourselves and ask them look how does this help us how does this get rid of my problem of moving data from here to here in a consistent safe and compliant manner you know and if we can tell that story and the other thing is this isn't just for obviously for validated systems. This is for your BMS, for your facilities, your t- utility management. We can get all that data available.
0: Well, One analytics
5: on, on it, and leave it we're going
0: to huh? do, do another podcast on the BMS stuff. So we're okay. going to bring John, we're going to bring John McKeon back, and we're going to and we're going to we're going to do a whole whole other podcast on B, so building management systems. Yeah. So some of the stuff that Galaris is doing. You know, using Unreal Engine and, and yeah. integrating building management system into unified namespace and then being able to unify operational data with, you know, spa- spatial data. Right. It is. It's pretty freaky. I mean, it's really free. I mean, some of the stuff you guys have done is it, it really will blow your fucking mind. I'm, no, no joke. Let, let me I want to go back to one quick thing and then we'll we'll call it a, a you know, we'll take it home. Andre talked about, you know, uh, the vendors are asking about this. The integrators are asking about this because the customers are asking and the customers are asking because of this community. I want to give credit to the community, the, the 5000 members on discord, the 11000 students at IOT University, some 70,000 people across the, ho- the whole industry for community. Literally, it's 70,000 people. The you you guys are the reason the clients are asking. Right. I mean, this community has you know if you look at the col- the way the community collaborates the way that you know our, our relationship with gis and <clears> Integration, <throat> although i don't work there i still own the company Intellic integration and gis their collaborate that didn't exist 15 years ago that wasn't the way this worked you know the 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 the, the dps Stata, gis Intellic integration and 4.0 solutions conversation by the way there's we didn't make any money on this either. I have no commercial stake in this in any way, shape or form at all Mm -hmm. that didn't exist 15 years ago. Like it has changed. It has become a community. It really has. And that is what's driven what the clients are asking for. And what the clients is asking for is what's driven Microsoft's change to their reference architecture. And by the way, come Q1 of next year, Azure IOT is not going to look anything like what you are used to seeing because Microsoft has, fundamentally changed their approach and uns is at the centerpiece of it okay um and that's why eric Barnstadt's mad at me for telling everybody that because no one's supposed to know yet um and then uh if you look at what gartner came out with in july that is a, a 180 degree shift from what gartner was preaching for the last 10 years literally 180 degree shift and the community did that the consumer did that you guys did that all right I want to say one last thing. Thank you guys very much for coming on here. It is very hard to get conversations about these use cases out in the public. It's really hard. Okay. It's very hard to get the end user to, to want to have a conversation. It's very hard for the, to get the integrator to do it. This is, you know, these are all like-minded individuals. I really, really thank you guys for having this conversation because I think it is going to be invaluable to the community. Uh, real quick, if they, if anybody wants to get a hold of, yeah, obviously you know how to get a hold of McKeon and Patrick at GIS. Andre, best way to get a hold of you is on LinkedIn. Yeah, that'd be good. And Igor, for you, if somebody wants to talk more same, about
4: Same yeah. LinkedIn. Yeah.
0: So reach out to Igor Tomasevich on LinkedIn, Andre Boyce. I, I follow, I think I'm connected to both of them. Um, So you can find them through my LinkedIn if you want to. I appreciate you guys coming on. Thank you guys for watching. Like, subscribe, comment down below. And we will see you in the next one.